The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Get ready for another wild day. Stocks look set to sink again after yesterday's nearly historic market comeback. Futures, they are down. The volatility more than just here. Asian markets taking a big hit overnight, but Europe... Holding steady, we'll get a live report from London in a moment. President Biden ordering more than 8,000 American troops put on high alert. It's over the possible defense of Ukraine and a Russian invasion. A wild ride for crypto as well. Many lost more than half their value, but we have got a stat that may make you feel a little better. And then call this one of those good problems. Ford stopped taking orders on a new truck because of too much demand, and it's not electric. It's all happening on this Tuesday, January 25th, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. Let us jump right in now. See how today looks after that Monday miracle, if you will, for your money. And it doesn't look like that miracle is going to roll over into today because we are seeing futures down fairly big across the board. Look at technology futures. Dow holding up okay. NASDAQ futures off nearly 150 points. So again, if we get selling, and listen, a lot can turn. Remember, at this time yesterday, futures were in the green or at least almost not down. And then we got crushed. So anything can happen, but right now, not looking too good. Now, on Monday, if you were, I don't know, on Mars or something, the Dow clawing back from a more than 1,000-point loss at the session and actually ended the day in the green. Look at that tick. Wow. Here are the changes from the intraday lows to the close. The NASDAQ made a nearly 6% move. It rose 5.7% from its lows to the close. The S&P Four and a half percent and the Dow, three and a half percent. Wow. Big moves. But by the way, not the biggest ever. That's coming up in your morning RBI because of course it is. All right. Let's also get a check on the bond market as well. Yields ticking a little bit higher. Some blaming the Fed entirely for yesterday's market move. I tweeted out, I do not think it was Fed rates at all. You don't get a sell off like that because of the Fed and rates when we all know they're going to raise them. And then that kind of bounce back, we'll ask Matt Maley in a second if I am wrong. All right, fear and volatility running rampant on Monday. At one point, the VIX was up 25%, the fear gauge, if you will. Again, not something you usually see because of a well-known and well-telegraphed Fed move. And in crypto, the chart says lower, but they are higher than their lows. Yesterday, remember, cryptos don't close, so it's kind of hard to say they're up or down or whatever they are. Just look at the absolute price, 36 and change on Bitcoin. All right, let's go now around the world. CNBC's Rosanna Lockwood is in our London newsroom with a look at the mixed trade in Europe and what is happening around the world and kind of an odd day 
Rosanna. I think that's right, Brian. In fact, let's start in Asia because that's the lead we obviously look to here in London before our markets open. And it was a very negative lead indeed. Red across the board, practically a bloodbath in China. The Shenzhen composite down by around three and three tenths of a percent. This idea that China might be immune to what's happening stateside or the rest of the world seemingly being unproven. Uh, the Hang Seng Index, meantime, Hong Kong off by one and six tenths. But I really want to point out the Nikkei 225 in Japan. That was at five months low, down one and six tenths of a it was tech that was the heavyweight on this. And the ASX 200, 2.5% down. That is an eight-month low for the Australian index. And it was banking that was really the downcaster there for Australia. Meantime, what happened in Europe this morning, as you said there, Brian, completely different. Much more positive open. We're keeping a very close eye on the FTSE mid today. There's presidential balloting elections going on in Italy. You're seeing that up around a percent. But as you can see here, it's pretty green. Positive risk on across the board. Uh, the FTSE 100 is around a percent up. In terms of sectors, what we're seeing here, a couple of earnings to keep an eye on. Logitech and Ericsson, for example. Unilever, we've had some news on that as well. And in fact, let's give you some of these corporate stories because Credit Suisse flagging that fourth quarter earnings are set to be negatively impacted by litigation provisions of around 500 million Swiss francs. The Swiss bank said the charge alongside a 1.6 billion Swiss franc goodwill write-down is expected to push its earnings to break even. And Unilever, I mentioned that stock, it's planning to to cut 1,500 management-level positions, confirming multiple reports this morning. The move is part of a global restructuring plan aimed at streamlining operations at the consumer goods company. Back to you guys. All right, Rosanna, thank you very much. Appreciate that. All right, now let's dive more on our markets and futures here. Futures, they are pointing to more selling today after that Monday massive turnaround. But Monday's move, not just about price, volume was big as well. In fact, the volume of trades on both the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ 100 ETF was about triple a normal day. You also had technicals at work with the NASDAQ, even coming into the day's session with a very oversold condition. Of course, it got more oversold as the session went on. And then the buyers came in and now we're down again. What the heck's going on? Matt Maley, Chief Market Strategist, Miller Tabak, joining us now. Matt, uh, we need your insight, my friend. All right, we were super oversold. Going into the session, based on some of these technical indicators, we got more oversold. Who exactly was doing the buying? Who, who moved this market around nearly 6% for tech on Monday? Well, you know, I think it had a lot to do. You mentioned how, how Brian, how the, the uh, volume was so incredibly strong. And that's a sign of capitulation, uh, kind of a washout move, at least a mini washout move. And one of the things we really see on days like this is when you have the uh, – uh, you have – forced selling, a margin calls and such. I mean, people kind of, the, the problem with the people, you know, when the market goes up really strongly and they see leverage go really high, uh, you know, margin debt and such, they reach record, record highs. People say, well, don't worry about that. It's a, it's a bad timing tool and such. That's true. Uh, but the problem is, is that leverage helps the market go a lot higher than it should go, takes it to expensive levels, gives people a lot of confidence they can stay with it. And then, of course, when the market rolls over, that has to lead to some of that leverage to be unwound. And yesterday, I think we saw that actually Thursday and Friday of last week when the market closed right on its lows, actually three days in a row, closed right on its lows because of margin calls. And then this week, we kind of got that flush earlier in the day. And, and so finally, when, when kind of the, the, that forced selling was done, the market was able to bounce back. And I do think uh, even though the futures are looking lower today, these type of big turnarounds usually last for a little while. But the question is, uh, will we see lower lows? 
Well, what do you th- are we going to see lower lows? I mean, is the market weak under the hood? Well, yes. I mean, one of the things, again, it goes back to what we thought when the Fed, the, the, the people keep talking about, is the Fed making a mistake? Are they raising rates at the wrong time? The, the, the mistake the Fed has already made, okay? They left their emergency level of stimulus on uh, long after the emergency had, had, had already come to an end. This, again, pushed uh, uh, the stock market. When, when the economy tried to play catch up with the stock market, everybody knew the stock market was, was overvalued uh, in the summer of 2020, okay? But we felt that the, the economy would pick back up and play catch up. The problem is, is the Fed kept that uh, artificial stimulus on, kept going. So when it, once it started to play catch up, yep. it just kept going and never really caught up. So it has to come back down. Uh, and, and I think we'll see lower lows. It will take time. We'll see, see sharp rallies like we've seen the last, uh, you know, we saw yesterday. Uh, but uh, I think it's, we're now in a situation where people need to, to, to sell, the, sell, the, sell the bounces. Yeah, and I've got a chart here that I made up yesterday. I'll tweet it out later, comparing now to 2018 when the Fed started raising rates. And by the way, both markets, NASDAQ QQQ, down 18% from the highs to the lows. Right now, we fell 18% from the highs to the lows back in 2018. We'll see if that holds up. But I want to clear I tweeted out yesterday, Matt, I did not think yesterday's move was about the Fed and interest rates because nobody woke up yesterday morning not knowing the Fed is likely to raise rates this year. I will say and clarify that I think it has to do with your point about balance sheets. We, we, we talked about this extensively last week and the week before that and the week before that and leverage. And a lot of people levered up. They borrowed money. They put all these kind of crazy trades on with options, whatever it may be. And to your point, that is getting unwound. What is the Fed's role right now? Well, I mean, it's kind of interesting because they're not done with their QE program yet. And so they're still adding some liquidity from time to time. Uh, but I do believe that, that the Fed, what they've done, I mean, they've gone from a, a situation where they massive liquidity, record levels of liquidity, Okay, they didn't stop at neutral and, and, then, and then go to tightening. They went directly from the record levels of, of, of liquidity to tightening, uh, and that's going to take longer than people expect because uh, to unwind that leverage. Because people, I'm afraid, don't understand. Kathy Wood and others don't understand how the the, the amount of leverage uh, that was added to the system uh, by investors uh, took the market higher than it otherwise yep. would have gone. And so it needs to come down a little bit lower. But embrace it. Investors, you don't fear this thing. Embrace it. Take advantage of it, and you'll be able to do. It. You'll actually be the one who was able to buy stocks on weakness, not be the one panicking. Well, well said, Dr. Maley. It almost appears that the market is acting rationally and maybe some might even say a little healthily, if that's even a word. Matt Maley of Miller Tayback. Appreciate it, my friend. Take care. Pullbacks are normal and they are healthy. Buy low, sell high. All right, when we come back, could Microsoft be a game changer for the entire tech tumble? It might. We'll tell you why coming up. Also, a closer look at Bitcoin and one key stat that all you hodlers out there may be very happy to hear. And then we are live in Moscow for the very latest on the Russia-Ukraine tensions. They may just be days away from a possible invasion. We've got a lot more to do. Stick around. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? 
At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Tuesday morning. Let us talk about DeBit, Bitcoin. It is lower on your screen right now, but I will note that it is higher than it was at its Monday lows when it touched a seven-month low below 33000 Remember, Bitcoin doesn't close, so it's kind of hard to say it's up or down. Just look at the price. Anyway, that extended sell-off now has Bitcoin more than 50% or about 50% from its record highs of nearly 69000 on November 10th. A lot of the smaller cryptos and coins, they're down even more. However painful it is, this kind of a severe drop should not be a surprise to longtime coiners. According to Charlie Bellello of Compound Capital Advisors, it was the eighth time since Bitcoin launched in 2009 that it has dropped by more than 50%. And it's the third time it's fallen by that much in just the last four years. There are also some hopeful signs in all this as well. Let's talk about it with Noel Atchison, head of market insights at Genesis Trading. Noel, I'm sure your insight is not in demand at all right now, he said rather sarcastically for a Tuesday morning. Tell our audience right now, maybe nervous, chewing on their nails, what exactly is happening with Bitcoin and some of the other major cryptos. Good morning, Brian. Great to be with you. I do have to say nothing I say is investment advice, obviously, and these are my opinions, not those of my employers. But what is going on in the markets? Similar to what's going on in markets everywhere, Brian, and this is a huge change that we're seeing in the crypto markets. They are now acting like macro assets, high risk macro assets. Four years ago, back last time we were in the sort of on the cusp of a crypto winter, they had a very different narrative. They were very divorced from the traditional stock market. That's not the case anymore, which is a very interesting narrative twist. I promised the viewers a little bit of maybe not good news. I don't want to quantify it that way, but maybe comforting news. And that is some data that you have got. And while we have seen the price of Bitcoin fall considerably, your data suggests or data that you look at suggests that the number of people actually getting rid of their Bitcoin is not that high. Explain the difference and maybe, Noel, some of the disconnect there. That's a great question, Brian. And you've hit 
on a very interesting story that is unfolding in crypto markets. And I'll, I'll talk about Bitcoin here because it's still the flagship crypto asset, one that most of your viewers at least are, are somewhat familiar with. Now, we have been hearing over the years that Bitcoin is digital gold. It is a store of value. It is a hedge against inflation, et cetera, et cetera. Has not behaved like that in recent months. Reason being because many of the new types of investors coming into the market came in because Bitcoin is a risk asset with high volatility, potentially very high returns. And when they treat it like a risk asset, it behaves like a risk asset. Most of the selling that we're seeing today, Brian, is from short term holders, people that either bought in at the top with very low conviction or these macro investors that I am talking about, the ones that see it as a risk asset. And when the market signals to go risk off, Bitcoin is going to get hit. It's worth remembering that Bitcoin is the only asset that trades on the weekends 24-7. So it's pretty easy to get rid of it. Yeah. Now, here's the interesting story that you mentioned, Brian. That's only That only accounts for about 20% of Bitcoin's supply. Long-term holders, that is accounts that have held Bitcoin for five months or more, they control almost 70% of Bitcoin supply. 75% of Bitcoin supply are held in what are known as illiquid addresses. The supply of Bitcoin that has not moved in over a year is almost 70% also. And all of the signals that wow. the thesis that Bitcoin is a store of value, a long-term hedge, that has not gone away. That is still very strong and accounts for most of the holding that we are seeing. It's just not what we're seeing in the market. And of course, fewer assets for trade or sale or buy could also increase volatility as more people look to do more with less. Fascinating stuff. 70% simply not moving. They're sitting there in their wallets or their vaults or whatever you want to call it. Maybe a little good news this morning, Noel Atchison. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brian. All right. Still on deck. You're very, very welcome. All right. A big beat for Big Blue. No, not the Dodgers. IBM. We're going to talk about more on that in a moment. Plus, he'll keep on rocking in the free world on Spotify if the music platform does something with a certain podcaster. Call this Neil Young versus Joe Rogan. Stick around. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Tuesday morning. Let's get right now to some of this morning's other top headlines, including some big quarterly results from Big Blue as that company continues its now latest turnaround efforts, which seem to be going on for a while. Bertha Coombs is here now with that and more. Bertha, good morning. What is going on out there? 
Hey, good morning, Brian. Shares of IBM higher in the pre-market after the company beat top and bottom line estimates for the fourth quarter. Sales surging 6% year over year. On a call with analysts, CEO Arvind Krishna reiterating the company's mid-single-digit growth goal for the next year. He expects to see between 10 and $10.5 billion in free cash flow for the year. Meantime, call it a high-class problem. Ford is taking the unusual step of cutting off customer orders for its new mobile affordable Maverick pickup truck, saying that it has maxed out on what it can build of the new hybrid. In a note to dealers, Ford said it's suspending orders for the truck, which launched in November because it's already straining to satisfy the backlog. Too much demand. The company says orders will resume this summer. Ford shares right now, though, just below the even mark in the pre-market. And rock and roll legend Neil Young wants Spotify to remove his entire music catalog from the streaming platform in response to the spread of COVID-19 vaccine misinformation. He specifically cites Joe Rogan's popular podcast as a source of false info on the pandemic. In an open letter to the heads of Warner Brother Records, Young says, quote, I am doing this because Spotify is spreading fake information about vaccines, potentially causing death to those who believe the disinformation being spread by them, adding, quote, they can have Rogan or Young, not both. Brian, no comment from Spotify yet, but this isn't the first time that Young has pulled his music from the platform. He first did it back in 2015 because he felt that the audio quality was too low. So no after the gold rush if they don't respond to him. Or or uh, everybody knows this is nowhere, arguably the finest album with Cowgirl in the Sand, Down by the River, Cinnamon Girl. It's on my LP player right now. Pretty high profile battle there, wouldn't you say, Bertha Coombs? Rogan versus Young? It is, you know. But Neil Young takes a stand. He is not shy about really, really standing up yep. for his principles. Yep. And whatever you think about the battle or whatever he says, he is taking a stand. Bertha, we'll see you in a few minutes. Thank you very much. All right, coming up, the very latest from Moscow on just how close that region may be to war. That is ahead. But as you go and grab another cup of coffee or hit the treadmill, Check on this morning's meme stock action. It has been brutal out there, and it is no better looking today. AMC, GameStop, BlackBerry, Clover Health, and costs, they are all lower across the board. Just a reminder, our podcast is on Spotify, 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 and should be there hopefully for a while. If you get a chance, check it out. Futures, they are down right now. Dow Futures off 44, and we are back after this. Buckle up and grab the coffee. Another rocky trading day could be ahead after Monday's massive market U-turn. Futures, they are down across the board. New developments on one of the key market stories right now. Ukraine and the U.S. putting thousands of American troops on standby for possible deployment. That's ahead of talks to ease tensions in Eastern Europe. We are on the ground in Moscow with the very latest. And tech under the microscope as some of its biggest stars prepare to roll out their quarterly numbers and Microsoft save the market. It is Tuesday, January 25th. 
And this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, welcome or welcome back, everybody, and good Tuesday morning. It is 528. I'm Brian Sullivan. Let's jump right in now and see how today looks after call it that Monday miracle for the markets and your money. It doesn't look like necessarily we're going to see a miracle on Wall Street continue today as well. Yes, markets in turmoil. We are seeing futures down across the board right now. The Dow futures not off a lot. In fact, I wouldn't put any credence in that. 40 points is nothing. But the NASDAQ, you do have to pay attention to. Those futures down 150 points. So we are seeing a pretty sizable hit in the pre-market. A lot can happen with NASDAQ futures. And of course, as I've told you, what, 62,000 times so far, if you're a viewer, technology runs the market. That's why NASDAQ futures are greater than Dow futures in terms of market importance. Now, speaking of the Dow, Dow yesterday clawing back from a more than 1,000-point loss at the session It did end the day in the green. By the way, its biggest intraday bounce, well, since 2020, and of course, some of the pandemic volatility. Here are your moves from the intraday lows to the close yesterday's. The Dow rising 3.5%, the S&P 4.5%, but look at the NASDAQ 100. It rose 5.7% from the intraday low to the high. Wow, truly a stunning move, but not a record. By the way, the record will be coming up in your RBI. Fortunately, does not look like that late session bull move will carry through today. So how much of this volatility really is about the Federal Reserve? Well, today the Fed kicks off its two-day policy meeting and almost certainly telegraphing what will be its first rate hike in four years at coming at its next meeting in March, likely not tomorrow. Let's tie it all now together with a kind of rare Worldwide Exchange morning panel and bring in Mark Anderson co-head of Global Asset Allocation at UBS and TD Securities Global Head of Rate Strategy, Priya Misra. Priya, good morning. I'll start with you. How much of this crazy volatility, I know your rates, not equities, but how much of the whole thing do you attribute to the Fed? Are they behind the curve? I attribute a lot of that to the Fed and the Fed uh, pivot. There's been this, you know, just over the last few weeks, the markets, the, the Fed has essentially told us that they could go sooner, they could go faster. And what I'll be watching for is, you know, is that their base case? Because as of the, uh, the December dot plot, the Fed was only talking about three hikes. The market's pricing in four hikes this year. Are they going every meeting? That's seven hikes this year. So I think this the, the, the Fed has injected volatility in the market. Now, there is economic volatility, but I think what the Fed's uh, suggesting, if they are behind the curve, how much more are they going to go? They're also talking about the balance sheet. And I think the Fed may view the balance sheet yeah. and rate hikes as sort of equivalent tools. The market really cares a lot about that balance sheet. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll stick with you before I go to Mark Priya. Follow up on that, because we had a chart, I think it was last week, and I don't know if we still have it, maybe we'll show it tomorrow. And it showed effectively the stock market in the U.S. and the Fed balance sheet over the last, I think it was five or ten years. And they were spot on. They were so correlated that it was almost impossible to tell them apart. In other words, as the balance sheet grew, the stock market grew with it. How much of that deleveraging should concern our audience? 
So, you know, as a, on, on an academic basis or, or even from a some, uh, sort of Fed policy perspective, there's no direct link because the, the Fed pumps reserves in the system. The reserves are held by the banks and the banks don't buy stocks. But there is absolutely a link. And I think the, the link comes from real rates. So if you look at long-end real rates, they've risen significantly. That's why I think we're, we're seeing that deleveraging. I think these real rates have more mm-hmm. room to rise. If, if the Fed wants to slow things down, they want to find, uh, tighten financial conditions. Remember, every hiking cycle, that's the aim. So it's not an unintended consequence. I think the speed of it, um, uh, it yeah, you know, maybe too much. But the, the real rates, we do expect long-end real rates to rise, and that's going to tighten financial conditions. It's the speed that we're all sort of grappling with. So I think there's, there's more volume volatility in store because the balance sheet does drive those long end real rates much more than uh, than rate hikes. You know, Mark, your take on the Fed and also talk to us about rate hikes and markets in general, because I know we've kind of been conditioned to think that, you know, rate hikes bad, rate cuts good. Markets, stock markets have gone up in history when Feds have been raising rates aggressively. 1994, 1995, one of the best years for the Dow in 95 came off a two and a half percent move higher by the Fed funds rate. What's your correlation? I think we tend to think about it the same way to the extent that, of course, we're going to see a bit of market volatility just as the Fed is going to turn uh, the other direction relative to this kind of very easy monetary policy we've seen for long. But I think the main reason is that equity markets are typically doing well is that the Fed is only really hiking when we have a relatively strong economy. And that's what we're looking at. So we're looking at a U.S. economy that's likely to grow close to 4% this year. Financial conditions are very easy. Uh, corporate earnings are still growing at a, at a solid pace. So it's still a good environment to be uh, an investor. But of course, it's creating a bit of volatility just as the Fed is starting to move a bit in the, in the other direction. Your clients are going to want to own stocks. They may change the kind and style of stocks they own, Mark, but they're going to want to own stocks, and we're down. Let's keep it at like 10%. Let's keep that in mind. We are still well up year over year. What are you advising your clients to do right now? So we're certainly advising our clients to hold significant portions of their portfolios in equities, uh, we have a sector view that favors energy first and foremost, but also financials. So we have been kind of forecasting for yields to move higher. We also have short duration in our fixed income positions. And these are essentially parts of the markets that have been doing well. We have not been tilting over to some of the more overvalued tech. And I think for your comments before, Brian, I think the relative valuation of tech has certainly gone up as say the, the quantitative easing pushed down yields, in particular in the long end of the, the curve, and we're seeing a bit of a reversal of that. But there are significant parts of the market that I would even qualify as being cheap at this point in time, in particular when we look at it relative to where overall yields are. So from an asset allocation perspective, we're still happy to own equities, but we tend to favor, as mentioned, energy, financials, eurozone, yeah. over say more the expensive and, and the U.S. market. All right. The more defensive players are there and we're watching the speed and pace of those rate hikes. Why the language of the Fed tomorrow will be so important. Priya Mishra, Mark Anderson, really appreciate your views. Have great days, both of you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Right now to the other big global market story, and that is new developments in the Russia-Ukraine tensions. The White House and Pentagon ordering about 8,500 American troops be put on standby for possible deployment to Central and Eastern Europe. It would be part of an effort to tighten up NATO defenses in the face of a possible Russian incursion or invasion into Ukraine. A move coming ahead of four-way talks tomorrow in Paris between Russia, Ukraine, France and Germany 
one that hopes to ease the rising tensions in the region. For its part, President Biden in the White House holding a more than one hour call for, with his European counterparts yesterday, discussing diplomatic and possible punitive efforts to combat Russia. For on the ground perspective, let us bring in Financial Times Moscow Bureau Chief Max Seddon. Max, uh, good morning here. Good afternoon to you. What is the Russia view? What are they saying in the media and in the news uh, in the Kremlin, in Moscow and in Russia? Well, obviously, the Kremlin is extremely unhappy about this. The, the line from uh, Dmitry Peskov, uh, Vladimir Putin's spokesman, has been that uh, it's uh, the U.S. who created the crisis by arming and assisting Ukraine. It's the U.S. that's escalating it by by these troop department, the, the deployments. This is the irony of the position that Russia has taken. Russia's goal is to roll back the U.S. presence in Europe to remove all the NATO deployments from, from Eastern Europe, from the countries that joined after 1997. But by going through with this huge buildup uh, on the Russian border with Ukraine and in Belarus next door, Russia is, uh, in a way, provoking exactly what it's trying to get rid of in, in the form of these NATO deployments. Yeah. It sounds like Vladimir Putin, who is kind of a, you know, spin master, if you will, is trying to create internal optics that if there were to be actual fighting, that he could then say, to your point, I think, Max, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's not our fault. The U.S. and the West provoked us. We were just hanging out in our own territory. They sent weapons and troops in. What else could we do? Is that kind of the spin and the shine that Putin is trying to put on this? Oh, absolutely. I've, uh, you know, I've heard this, you know, numerous times from sources and, uh, Russia, you know, they said publicly that they are not going to, to invade Ukraine, but they have vowed to defend the, uh, Russian backed rebel held territory in the Donbass in East Ukraine, where hundreds of thousands of people now have Russian passports since the war started in, in 2014 and Ukraine lost control of those territories. And, uh, Peskov, Putin's spokesman said yesterday that the risk of, uh, conflict which obviously they blame on Ukraine, is is very high, higher than, than usual in, in that region. And the example that you know, sources keep bringing up in, is Georgia in, in 2008, very similar story where you have these two rebel-held regions and Russia essentially lured the president of Georgia into ordering an ill-advised military incursion that was then used as grounds for a full-on Russian invasion of the country. And uh, with, with this buildup, they are certainly closer than they ever have been to launching something like that in Ukraine. Is there any indication about what Putin may want with Ukraine? I, I know they can say we want to liberate the Russians who are, quote, trapped in Ukraine. But there is absolutely no indication that anybody in Ukraine wants Russia on a macro scale to come in. They don't have a lot of strategic assets. Russia already annexed Crimea in 2014. That's where most of the ports and the water are. What would be the goal here around Ukraine? Well, this is really about more than Ukraine for, for Putin. This, this is about Russia's place in the world. This is about the whole European security architecture. This for him is about rolling back what he sees as the humiliation of Russia in, in the 1990s when the Soviet Union collapsed. Russia was, was weak as uh, you know, Russia claims that the U.S. promised uh, Gorbachev uh, before the Soviet Union collapsed and NATO would not expand beyond Germany. And this is about uh, carving back a new sphere of influence for Russia in those countries, uh, restoring these buffers against the West that they used to have in the Warsaw Pact. Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister of Russia, he recently referred to these former Warsaw Pact uh, countries like Poland, the, the Czech Republic, Slovakia, 
uh, as uh, orphaned by by the collapse of communism, which is certainly not how a lot of people in in those countries see it. What's really worrying in a way, though, is that we know less and less of what Putin actually thinks. In December, he was very much out front on this issue, talking every few days, uh, going on these quite long rants about his view of Ukrainian history and so on. This 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 year, basically, we've we've barely seen him. He's made a few. Uh, stage managed appearances, meeting a couple governors and and things like that. But he hasn't really spoken in any lengthy way about the latest developments in in the crisis. When you've seen the people from the Russian foreign ministry who've been leading negotiations with the U.S. and NATO about the security talks, it's quite clear that they don't know exactly what their mandate is, and he's got to decide. Max Seddon, live in Moscow. Really appreciate your views, Max. Thank you. Talk to you again soon. Be well. All right. Up next, back to the markets and your money. Will it be, thank you, will it be Redmond to the rescue? Why Microsoft's earnings may be able to help all investors this week. But as we head to break, fire up the minivan. Amazon expanding its Go stores to the suburbs. Those are its convenience stores. And now one will open in Mill Creek, Washington, a Seattle suburb. Another one in the Los Angeles area is also planned. Shares of NVIDIA trading lower. Bloomberg is reporting the company is said to be quietly prepping to abandon a takeover of Arm Holdings. Arm's current owner, SoftBank, said to be looking at an IPO instead. And shares of Smile Direct Club, they are higher. It is pushing to profitability, but that includes some tough news like employee layoffs and stopping operations in some countries. An editorial note, Smile Direct Club has previously sued NBC News an investigation into consumer complaints about its company's dental products. Futures, they are down across the board. And Worldwide Exchange is back in a moment. All right, welcome or welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Could be another tough day for the markets, macro markets overall. We are seeing futures down across the board. NASDAQ futures down more than 1%. Some of the travel stocks could get hit as well. That's a live look. At the live trade on the airline stocks, they're down. The cruise lines are down as well. So a lot of red on the screen, despite a lot of positive talk about travel. That is not being reflected in the market today. All right, as we noted, futures overall are down with the NASDAQ off more than 1% along with the overall markets. Now, there are concerns about sort of massive mounting moves in markets as well. But let's be clear, the markets are down this year. The Nasdaq off more than 11% this year, even with Monday's close, but we are still higher over the past year, meaning 12 months. So just keep the context in mind. One of the worst starts ever to a year for technology, but higher over the past 12 months. Okay, could that change today? A lot of earnings, but focus on one name in particular. That is Microsoft kicking things off after the bell. Let's bring in Paul Meeks, Portfolio Manager at Independent Solutions Wealth management. Paul, good to have you back on again. Uh, Settle us down a bit. Markets obviously jumpy. The triple Qs had nearly triple the normal traded volume yesterday. As on an average day, there is a lot of nerves around some of these former and maybe still market leaders. Most cases, particularly with the major names like Microsoft reporting tonight, a microeconomic or company-specific issue. I actually expect that company to be solid tonight with uh, solid guidance. But frankly, Brian, I don't know if it uh, matters. Before I go back in the sector, and of course I'm focused on the sector with my career for a long, long time, 
and I have a lot of cash, extraordinary amount of cash in portfolios, I need to see uh, one of two things happen. I need to see us clear this entire quarterly reporting season, which will probably go for another three weeks, so we're a little bit early on the calendar. And frankly, I need to see, at least in the short term, uh, some kind of stabilization in rates. I'm not fool enough to think that I'm not going to get back into the market until we have uh, the Fed complete its whole tightening program, because that could take years. But I need yeah. some sort of stabilization, at least in the next couple of weeks or months. Uh, when that happens, I feel very comfortable to go back in tech. I think we're shaping up with some extraordinary bargains here for some great companies. So, so tie it together, Paul. And you and I have been, you and I, we're old, man. We've been talking together for, I think, more than 20 years now. We've been through a lot of cycles. I've been a lot of cycles lately, but we've lived through a few. And I guess where I'm confused, and please hit me over the head and tell me why I'm wrong, is why it would matter to Microsoft or Apple or Google if the Fed raises rates one and a half percent or one and a quarter percent. I understand why it matters to money losing, you know, 200 forward P.E. companies. I get that. It's a multiple compression. Why does it matter to Microsoft? Why do they care? I still think it matters vis-a-vis uh, uh, multiple compression, at least a bit, but obviously not as much as some of those, you know, COVID-derived darlings, tech darlings from yesteryear. Uh, it still does matter. Uh, you think about uh, Apple, for example, growth is starting to slow somewhat, you know, big, fairly mature company, yet its um, multiple has exploded in the last year or so. And so I do think, and I don't mean to disagree, I respect your opinion, I do think it does have some sort of impact, but obviously not as much as some of those stocks. And it's reflected in some of those uh, former tech darlings because yeah. they're down 30, 40, 50 percent in some cases. I want you to disagree. That's what makes it fun, Paul. No problem at all. But I guess what you would say is that Microsoft's valuation then was a little bit stretched. If the rate rise and compression matters, that would imply Microsoft's forward valuation was a little too high. It was at 37 times forward earnings in mid-December. It's at 32 now. So it has come down five points. What would be sort of a fair level then? Oh, I think that uh, Microsoft, once we get through the report, if it's clean and the guidance is clean, as I expect, I think we're probably getting uh, fairly close to a buying opportunity. Maybe not for the short-term investor because we still have this um, cloud of the rate hikes, but for a long-term investor. I mean, of the uh, fangs, I think Microsoft and Alphabet uh, are probably okay. You know, I actually worry about the um, regulatory heat on Facebook, and I worry about yeah. the Amazon's business. But Microsoft and Alphabet for long-term investors – get through the quarter reporting period, right? I think it'll be just fine. Looking for a clean quarter and clean guidance, Paul Meeks. We appreciate your guidance as always sound and steady. Paul, thank you very much. Yes, sir. All right. On deck, your morning RBI on just how far back you've got to go in history to see a comeback like the one we had yesterday. Plus, Grace Capital's Kate Pattis is here on the boring stocks she loves right now. Stick around. Today's RBI is all about Monday's monster market comeback. I mean, did you really expect to see anything else? Of course not. And it's definitely RBI worthy because it was an absolutely insanely volatile session. 
This is according to our market guru, friend and colleague, Robert Hum. Robert, thank you. At its low, the Dow was down over 3%, and then it closed higher. That is the biggest comeback since right when the pandemic hit in March of 2020. But that's not that random or that interesting. But this is. The Nasdaq flipped nearly 800 points on Monday, a more than 4% reversal. And if that sounds like a lot, it is. In fact, it is the greatest percentage intraday U-turn for the Nasdaq composite, not the 100, the composite, since November 13th, 2008. Need I remind you, right as the great financial crisis was starting to blow up, every single major index was down big and then came back to close higher in the final minutes. And according to Bespoke Investment Group, yesterday was only the sixth time since we started keeping track of the NASDAQ back in 1988 that it's reversed a 5% intraday drop to close higher. As I tweeted out, Monday may have been the stock market version of the Bills-Chiefs game, or maybe Bucks-Rams if you were a Rams fan. It was grim at times. It was tense. It was nail-biting. It was amazing to watch. But you probably wouldn't want to do that every day, would you? Random, but interesting. All right, let's talk more about it with one of our favorite guests, Kate Faddis of Grace Capital, joining us. Kate, you always bring along some great ideas. But before we get to some of those, what do you make of Monday's market? I mean, we just kind of sitting back and watching and saying, this is, this is bonkers? I think it's, just, it's bonkers. I think it's a great opportunity for my boring names. I was shocked. I did not expect that. And I think, I, I, I don't think it reflects anything except randomness. The market has been clear. The Fed has been clear. We've had, the market has doubled in three years. It was up 29% last year. It's time for the market to take a pause or even pull back. And everything I'm seeing is telling me that's what we're going to see longer term. Yeah. Okay. So let's get to some of your your boring, steady names. And Kate, I got to say, I'm a little hurt. I thought we were friends. One of your boring names is a company I cover dramatic. That is Chenier Energy, liquefied natural gas run by Jack Fusco, who's been a friend of CNBC. I mean, they're shipping gas over the world and making a lot of money. It doesn't seem that boring to me. Oh, Chenier is plenty boring. How much more boring can you get? What do they do? They bring the gas down to Corpus Christi, they put them in LNG tanks, and they ship them out. They don't even have commodity price risk, Brian. They don't, they don't take commodity price risk. They don't take volumetric risk. They get a fee. Pretty boring. Here's why. The world needs energy. We are ESG investors. We love ESG. However, you can't survive on ESG. Look what's happened in Europe. The wind isn't blowing. So you need natural gas. You buy Chenier. You're getting a 6% yield, and it's growing. It's growing 5 or 6% a year. We think Chenier is beautiful. It's boring. Yep. It's made a lot of money for us. And in this environment, you need something like this to go hide in. Well, they have giant ships, which I think are kind of cool. Your next company, Kate, actually maybe even more boring because you talk about giant ships. This company, all they do, Unitil, is provide electricity. Electricity costs, to your point, have been high where you are in Boston and southern New England. That's kind of where Unitil is. Uh, is, this a, is this a rate play, kind of a utility dividend play? It's a rate play. It's a dividend play. And it's interesting because on the one hand, rate stocks are compared to the yield, the 10-year yield. 
So in a sense, if the Fed is raising rates, this should be bad for utilities and other uh, dividend paying stocks. However, they are much safer, Brian, than these high flying growth stocks, these stocks that are trading on 10 times revenue in this environment. I'm not going to change my strategic yep. asset allocation. However, I'm going to buy something like Unitil. It's boring. It yields 3.7%. Market cap is under a billion dollars. It's well managed. And they've got strong earnings targets. Kate Faddis, Unitil, we meet again. That was a dad joke. I apologize. Kate, thank you very much for coming on. That was terrible. Unitil and Chenier. Kate's trying to not say, boy, that was dumb, Sullivan. Thanks for watching Worldwide Exchange, folks. We will see you tomorrow. Futures down across the board could be another wild day. So who's better than Squawk to pick it up right after this? Have a great one. Take care. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.